Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Well, we come to part two of this letter, and I have to be honest, we're not even going to get to the letter. Uh, actually open up the letter, but we are going to get into part two of it where uh, I was this morning, the culture and geography of Corinth. I like the ofs there now. Uh, the culture and geography of Corinth are really the culture. We spoke much about the geography of today. If you weren't here or you're listening to it, you might not have seen that map, so get a chance to look at it. It gives you a kind of good insight, hopefully, God willing, and no, no it make you envious and four or five weeks time I'm hoping to go to Corinth and Athens and go to Marseille and then go to Corinth and we'll just document everything that we do and then hopefully see all these trips hopefully then we can go as a church in a church body and go to these things that would be the hope uh, and just to just to see it I think would be a good thing uh, this morning we started sharing about as I say the culture and the geography which is really important as it uh, it gives us first the context, but it gives us more than context to understand the letter. It also gives us a, a visual of, of Corinth. So I think when you start talking about it, as I start studying and looking at the area, you, you almost can get right into the world and what it was like then and get into the world of Paul and what it would have been like in Corinth and in that place that was packed with maybe hundreds of thousands of people and certainly during the, those games that I mentioned, There'd be hundreds of thousands of people in this in this city. Just no, oh, it's, it's quite a quite a picture. Uh, but more than that, it helps us understand uh, why Paul is then instructing and why then he addresses what he's addressing to the church in Corinth. Of course, when we get into the letter, we'll get a better understanding because Chloe. Um, uh, the household of Chloe has wrote to Paul, but know that Paul needed that information per se. Uh, but it also lets us know what he's addressing and, and what's going on in the psyche of people that he's addressing, which is very important when you're giving them information or you're challenging them. Uh, I mentioned this morning that the greatest battle or challenge that faced Paul was that the culture in Corinth was permeating into the church and through the church. But more than that, <laughs> it wasn't just permeating into the church and through the church. It was then that culture was going out from the church and the problem is that and I think in Christianity and, and we see this and this is why the, the book of the first uh, epistle to Corinthians and, and the second for that matter but particularly the first the second one's a bit more encouraging <laughs> the first is a uh, you get an understanding here that, that, that and, and this happens in the modern church that it's not just the culture that comes into the world comes in from the world into the church the church then embraces that and that's the message that goes out from the church and that's where it becomes really dangerous no the greatest danger is not just the culture coming into the church as we look at the modern church today the, one of the great dangers and the greatest hindrances to the gospel is is the message that comes out from the church no which which has been sabotaged by the world uh, where the church starts to become uh, and starts standing on the same principles as the world and what happens then is people then perceive the gospel. If you think of it in the church in Corinth, people were starting to perceive the gospel and see the gospel purely from looking at the people who were part of the church. 
you know, and that's that's really that's how it is, and that's a challenge to us. As I say, this letter is astoundingly challenging. But we have to ask ourselves at times. Yes, we have to preach the word in season and out. But do you, if I had to ask the question, just like in the church in Corinth and how they lived, how they acted, what their values were, how, what kind of example were they to the world? Because when people, before people come to the church, and it's true, I heard John MacArthur saying this, and I've heard others saying it, but in the context, it's okay, you know. No, look, look, people have not read the Bible, so you are the example of the gospel that they know. You know, people, you, know, you can't say a non-believer, just go and pray to Jesus. I don't know who Jesus is. How can I go and pray to Jesus? I mean, that's, that's, that's woefully inadequate evangelism. They, they, you have, they have to see it in your life. So, to the world, they're going to, they're going to judge. The, the world will judge this church based on you. <laughs> they won't judge it based on the sermon because they're not listening to the sermon. You know, they maybe eventually listen to a sermon. But really, they're, going to, they're, they're just going to connect with you. So you and your workplace, you and your environment, how you live, how you think, what you value, what you can handle, what you can't handle, how you cope with things, how you deal with life, how you deal with issues. I was talking to, I'll not get into details, I was talking to somebody quite recently who does some work for us and, and he was talking about a Christian who we know, I know and we both know, he's not a believer, this guy. And he was, he was just kind of, I was talking to him for about 10 minutes and he was just starting to rhyme off to me. The things with, that the Christian who he also knows was doing that he could not believe he was doing. And I thought, he's seen Christianity f through the eyes of that other Christian and how he lives, how he thinks, how he acts, the, the, the decisions he's making, the choices he's making. You know, and we don't, we don't think we're affecting people, but we are. So we have to ask ourselves at times, how, how, what kind of message are we portraying to the world? What gospel do we carry in our heart? This might be a better question, a better statement. No, many Christians, they can't cope with stuff. They don't handle stuff. Here in the Corinthian church, the problem was that they had adapted all sorts of stuff. So them, the pagans who didn't know, and them who didn't know the gospel, or even the Jews, the Gentiles, the Romans, they're looking at this. No, as much as they're seeing the world and they're in the world, they're also looking into the church. And they're going, so this is, this is Christianity. This is Christianity, is what they're saying. And trust me, that is how people are going to view. Long before they read the word, long before they read, that's the sum that they're going to do. Yes, we understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and, and we believe in election, but still we have a responsibility in how we carry and conduct ourselves. And what was happening is, is people were perceiving the church. You can imagine how frustrating that was to Paul, who, who, who led the church and, and pioneered that church, that now the message that's going out for the church is no the gospel at all. So, uh, anyway, let me first, first talk first of Paul's arrival in Corinth. And to do so, to, to really, before we even get into the letter of Corinth, we need to then talk about what Paul, when Paul went there, what he done, what happened there. And then to do that, we need to go to Acts 18. We're going to read the whole part of uh, Paul's, all that's written about uh, Paul's journey in Corinth and his ministry in Corinth. So Acts 18, um, verse 1 to 19, we were through this a few years ago. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. 
So Paul was in Athens, just to say, we know that he was there and then he debated with the Stoics and the Epicureans and Areopagus, Mars Hill, the, the Mars Hill uh, conference, if you like, the, the debate that he had with the Epicureans and the Stoics. I can perceive that you're religious. You remember that? Because I, I seen a sign saying to the unknown God, do you want to know about the real God? No, and he has this debate in Athens and then he leaves Athens, as it says, and he departed from Athens and went to Corinth, which we know is about a 50 mile radius. If you put up the map, if you've still got that, and you'll see how close it is. So here's Athens here. And then there is about 50. It's practically, it's almost 50 mile exactly. Uh, so after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Uh, they came from Rome because Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned, he reasoned, as Paul always did, in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jew and Greek. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered into the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, also believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hear and believed and were baptised. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you. Just let me just pause here very quickly. It's important to understand that when, by the time Paul comes to Corinth, he's been quite discouraged. I know you might think that Paul never gets discouraged. Paul was quite discouraged, especially in Philippi. There was discouragement there. There's, you know, when you're doing a lot of ministry work and you're not seeing results and it's getting attack after attack. So Paul had the element of discouragement going on in his life. And you, you'll read as we get into the start of the letter how he's, 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 in a sense, he's speaking a bit more positivity and trying to almost encourage himself a bit in uh, what he's saying. It says, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. This is the Lord and a dream speaking to Paul. For I am with you and no one will attack you or hurt you. For I have many people in this city, and he continued there a year and six months, so he's there a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look at it yourself, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while, and then he took leave of the brethren and sailed to Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut in Sencaria, for he had 
taken a vow, a Nazarite vow, and he had came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So that is the whole scenario that we hear about Paul and Corinth from the book of Acts. So that's, that's, the letter comes after this. So, but that's, that was Paul's ministry. Let me just share some thoughts then to just give it a bit more context. Paul travelled, as we said, 50 miles after he debated with the Stoics. And there he met Priscilla and Aquila, fellow tent makers, leather workers, where he set up shop. And I mentioned this morning that there is a reason why Paul took a job. This is an important part here, why Paul took a job. I mentioned it briefly this morning, why Paul done so. It's not that the Lord couldn't provide. Paul hadn't done that before, but he, he took a job because, and there's a reason, because of the, the culture in Corinth. Was a, it's, it's a statement called, you maybe know, I've heard it before, it's, it's called patronage. Patronage. It's... Uh, everything in Corinth was about status. Uh, so patronage is basically, if I, if I just explain it in women's terms, it's basically where someone with more gives handouts and supports someone who is less. Now there's not a wasted word in, there's not a wasted word in scripture. There's certainly not a wasted word that's relevant to many, many people, especially here in what's happening in Corinth. However, this handouts was nothing to do with charity and goodwill to all man. It's all about status. Therefore, them doing the giving have a superior status to them taking the handout, to them getting the charity, if you like, to the point that then they would be indebted to the person and must give them the honour as one above them whom then they must show their loyalty to. That's how it operated. That's what a patronage is. Uh, over the years, and, and, and if you think, is this relevant? Well, I, as a pastor, I'll tell you what I've experienced with many people over the years. And this is stuff that, 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 ch that challenges people in different levels. Over the years, I've seen people who, had, who have had to counsel. Uh, I've had to counsel them uh, away from this. You think it might be an ancient law, yet it still happened today. It doesn't have to have the name patronage. I would call it control. That's what I'd call it today, control. What it does then and what it did then and what Paul's avoiding and what it does to a Christian is it weakens, it weakens what you can give to somebody because, because they've got something over you. Okay, I'll tell you Old Testament, right, Joshua, Joshua's told by the Lord to pass through the land of Esau, his brother, his brother's got loads, he's got land, he's got cattle, he's got loads, and Paul, God says to es uh, Jacob, pass through the land of Esau, but don't take anything from him, because he'd then be indebted to him, this, and, and, and here in Corinth, it was, that was a big thing, so to have one-upmanship in people, to control people, to have more than somebody, would, would no be that it was just charity, it would mean that you were literally lesser than them. Uh, a lesser person. And what it starts to do is, and Paul sees this, and we even see this today, it stops you having a voice that influence into people's life. It's totally deliberate. If you've ever, 
If you've ever had anybody in your life who gives you stuff who's got more than you, it's not unlikely that when they're not a Christian that they use that to lessen what you can preach to them. Okay? I've had to counsel many people and say, you know what, you maybe need, and it's a hard thing to say because they're maybe getting a handout, they maybe need the financial support. But I've had to say to many people, and I've seen people with real courage saying, you know what, we've had to cut that. No, sometimes even when a non-Christian's been kind to you, it's not a bad thing, but often what happens is, is they kind of, kind of lord it over you a wee bit. And then what happens is, because you're one of the poor so, oh, we don't mind you're a wee poor Christian. Sometimes Christians give poorer Christians something to make them feel like a superior Christian is another thing that happens. This is really what Paul's having to address here. Big issue. No, big, big problem. Be very wary, brothers and sisters, of what you allow to take from people who are giving you for the sole point of view to weaken what you can share with them. And what you can then offer them. You see it everywhere. It happens everywhere. It would make others also as well as. That's it. Because it weakens their position. That's, that's the point. They're trying to. Often it's deliberately weaken your position. You can think of times yourself. I can, I can think of conversations. Where I've had people you go. You know what. You, that is deliberately. To actually weaken the gospel that you present to them. Why do they need your gospel? When they've already got more than you. Why do they need the, your gospel. When they're already buying you stuff. And taking stuff. Sometimes I honestly say. You better suffer with nothing. You better have less. Because you, really you're not getting bought. And this is the mindset. You're not getting bought. You're being silenced. You're being silenced. But also it's more so. In Paul's time, it was a whole different, there were a whole lot of stuff going on. Make others think, especially due to status, that we're no worthy enough or good enough to merit receiving Paul's message. This is another thing that went on. So, so what would happen is, is that if Paul took then support and help, talking here about why Paul has a job, right? That Paul then... Other people would then, because of the status and them who were given the handouts and them who were, who were given the, the charity, that because they would have a higher status and status, as we keep we've been talking about it since this morning, status is everything. Okay? Status is everything today in this society, isn't it? Because you've got more. And therefore, somebody's less. You know, there's a... If you look intently in the mirror before you were saved and you weren't brought up in poverty, okay, let me just say this. If you look intently in the mirror before you were saved and you weren't brought up in poverty, part of the stumbling block was the poor unfortunates who get saved that you felt better in. Okay? That's the mindset that's all going on here. Uh, so, so it would make others think, especially due to status, that they were no wealthy enough or good enough to merit receiving Paul's message. So really, because they would take, the, the, if Paul took the, the gift or the charity from them who had status and were more wealthy, it would, because of the mindset and the, the whole community, it would, make the, it would make the people in Corinth think, I've not got enough to give Paul. To merit, to merit salvation, to merit the gospel. Can I be honest with you? You, you don't need to go very far here as you go that trail where it looks like an indulgence, doesn't it? Then you start to see it, you go, you know what, 
I'm not good enough to hear the gospel. I don't know enough. You know, I, I, I'm no, I'm no quoted enough. A bit like how the modern church giving gets you more influence. Giving gets you a better parking space. More money gets you a better seat in church. Seriously. Some of these have been in their churches. More money gets you a better seat. More money gets you to meet the pastor. What is that but a First Corinthians problem? You know, more influence gets you that. It's, it's all about status. It buys you influence. I've, made, I've seen over the years in the modern church, people that have not been in church two minutes, but they've got more wealth, getting propelled into a position that, that their faith has no actual capacity to handle. But their wealth's got a capacity to handle it. Their, their, their bank balance has got the capacity. But nothing else. And it gives them a status. I'm not going to get time to get, well, I'm not, I'm not going to now, but when we hit it, we will get into it. Where you see Christian, so-called Christian businessmen, if you like. Remember we had a couple of Christians came to this church. I'll never forget it. I can't, a Christian is a loose term. You know what I mean? A, a, a couple of Corinthianites came to the church and they sat down and wanted a meeting with me. I don't know if Donna, Donna, I think Donna was there. She was helping me out and she's like, oh, they want to come. And what they wanted to do is they wanted, they wanted to use the church for their business, but out of the profits. Basically, they didn't want to hire an office, okay? This is, I'm no joking. So-called Christians. They didn't want to hire an office, so they were going to use this as an office. Aye. They were going to use this as an office and then off their profits, they would give us some money. And they sat and had a meeting. I didn't know that's what was happening. And I remember saying, this is way before we were reformed. I says, absolutely not. I says, we don't need your money. We don't need anything. I says, I says, you want to come and sit under the word? That's fine. That's it. So we're offering here. What would have happened if you say yes to that stuff? They start picking and choosing what they like. And what happens in the modern church, what's happening there is, is them, and you, you can see the parallels, that them who are big tithers or big givers. You know what, in the northeast of Scotland, one man can fund a church. And often do. But that one man or that one family or that one mafia family then start dictating what the church does and what the church doesn't do. It's very similar to this. And Paul, therefore, has to be very, very careful and no receiving handouts. He's no a tent maker because he had to go and work for a living. You know all that stuff? That's not the reason why he was a tent maker. He's a tent maker because he, he cannot afford the gospel to be diminished by people taking it the wrong way and thinking that somehow they've got a one-upmanship or status can be given. Ben Witherton, ben Witherton the third, in his brilliant book, this is a brilliant book, a, the book I told you about last week, it's called A Week in the Life of Corinth. If, you've, if you're knowing any novels, which I'm not at all, it's a, it's a brilliant wee novel. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's a brilliant novel that, that tells you what it would have been like to live in Corinth at this point. The guy's got a commentary as well and he totally... It's phenomenal at really understanding the culture in uh, Corinth at the time. But it's some great insight uh, to, to Paul and his work. So Paul worked so he would wouldn't he limit his influence and no be a stumbling block to others who would think they have to give favours or orders or receive his message. 
Competing was rife. Competing was rife, as was one-upmanship. This is what Witherton writes. Patronage. Patronage was not simply a matter of economic or social power and control. It was also a matter of honour and shame. And even spiritual control. Let me just pause there. I just need to pause there. Some people give you stuff to spiritually control you. They're not giving you for any other reason. The handouts is to spiritually control you. Or let me put it another way. To spiritually anaesthetise you so that you have no influence in speaking into their life. How can you speak into my life? I give to you. You're the needy one. It's a spiritual snobbery. I'll carry on. It was also a matter of honour and shame and even spiritual control. Paul had to tiptoe carefully through this minefield of this social network or of this social network to make sure the gospel was not a commodity to be bought. See, when you start sharing the gospel and, and overemphasizing stuff, do we believe in giving in this church? Absolutely. Absolutely. Out of the out of the out of the out of the the abundance of your heart we give. No, but where a man's treasure is, his heart is also. Of course we do. But we don't make that a thing that is the gospel. It's not the gospel. Paul had to tiptoe carefully through the minefields of social network to make sure the gospel was not a commodity to be bought. And its apostle was not seen. That's what Wolverington says. It's not seen as a gun for hire. I buy, I pay for you. You accept whatever I'm into. You know, in the modern church today, you've got people who give a lot of money to the church and the pastor wouldn't say anything to them because of the fear in case the tithe goes. You know, they look and they go, they're a big giver. Let's not challenge their sin. They're, they're a big tither. Let's not challenge their sin there. Let's, in fact, let, let's put with a bad attitude. I remember talking to a pastor years ago and he says he was thinking of moving the seats, the, the pews out and putting modern seats in. I wouldn't bother. I would just cushion the... No, I would change my mind. I'd just... But I'd just pad the pews, right? But I wouldn't bother. And he's wanting to take them out and put modern seating in. And I says, well, why don't you do it? He says, well, I, I don't know their names. I'll make up names. I always use old-fashioned names. Mary and Betty. Mary and Betty are big givers. And they love the seats. That's exactly the problem. So they, they pop up and they start accepting stuff based on what people have got. And Paul is having to tiptoe. This isn't just in one area. This is everywhere. This is saturated in Corinth. So he has to be very careful about the praise that he takes with people. He has to be very careful of the gifts that he takes with people. Knowing that all that can, because of how people view that. Uh, just fast forward and start thinking permutations in the church. It's the same. And I would urge this, maybe even look at it in your own life. At the MD in your life at this moment in time who gives you stuff where it's a stumbling block to them. I know it's painful. I, I, I don't think it's wrong for people to be nice to you. you know? But are there any people in your life at the moment, family, extended family, who give you or your family stuff purely as a means of belittling or making you a smaller person so that you can't speak the gospel into their life? Because see if that's the case, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, pray about that and do all you... God will provide. God will provide. Get it removed for your life. No, it's easy for us to go, oh, well, it saves me a few bob. <laughs> Did it? Saves me a few bob. I don't mind. It saves me a few bob. That's fine. If it's just given in kindness, we need a, we no strings attached. But what if they are strings attached? What, what if it's to give you one-upmanship in other people? You know, I know it's a hard thing. See, this is the stuff that will get addressed throughout this. Through the letter, you're going, God, I need to actually crucify the flesh here. I'm actually glad of the handouts I'm getting. Uh, some of these are getting handouts and getting gifts and getting stuff off people. You know, and it's actually, it's, actually the, it's, it's actually the work of the enemy, stopping the gospel getting to them. We have to be very, very careful. Does that make sense, guys? You know, it's heavy duty stuff. Because uh, it's forcing somebody to depend upon you. Let's not confuse kindness with control. Uh, let's not confuse that. I have to sometimes say to people, you know, you need to just stop even taking anything for that, if you can. Now, that's easy for me to say if they maybe need it for things. What do you need it for? Listen, see where we're heading just now in society and we're heading now with all this carry on that's happening. We, we gas and electricity and all that happening. You're, you're, we're going to be well on our way to living in a tent anyway, so you may as well just start sucking up losing the new, the way it's gone. Seriously. No, Matthew's away camping there last week and I'm like, you get used to that, mate. So you got to live. Unless you take handouts of folk that can control you. Like the government. See? There you go. Did you see how I brought that in? Maybe even look at it where people give control or make themselves feel less broken. Does anybody give to you that makes them act less, that's trying to make them feel less broken? You get anybody like that? If you get anybody that gives to you that's just trying to act less broken so that you don't actually able to share anything with them because you're, you're a lesser person or a lower social class person so you take stuff from them. Nothing new under the sun, isn't it? No. I mean, that's worth coming for that alone, isn't it? Why did Paul have a job? No, you know, you leave God. I'll tell you why he did a job. <laughs> Paul never made any decisions that was based on his flesh. Everything was for the kingdom. It's all kingdom decisions. Make them feel less broken. Make them... Silence the influence that you could have in their life. They just start positioning people. Often this is done in a way to keep you smaller when in fact it only stops you from having influence and let all people see the gospel is for everyone regardless of their condition. Let me add one more thing. No, and I don't know who will maybe listen to this but I'm going to say anyway. Let me mention the Addict Church. The Addict Church is a hindrance to the gospel and I'll tell you why. I'm talking the Addict Church. You know what I'm talking about here? The Outreach Addict Church. An outreach church, there's no such a thing. It should be a section of a church of outreach. See, when a church becomes an addict church, there's a problem. And this is the same spirit that falls into the trap here. The addict church is no better. It falls into the same trap where them down the reaching through giving and feeding bring dependency upon them that have fallen. It's no different. So you get people come to church. They're all broken and they're all that. We're not saying that we shouldn't reach the broken or the lost or the addict. But see when you start to see these pockets of churches and places where they're really just an addict church. It's just full of addicts. It's usually like a zoo. The church is usually like a zoo. Some people call it the real church. It's a zoo. 
And usually what happens is that it, you, you, the church is always the same size, just different brokenness. You know, you're like, where's so-and-so? I've not seen him for a while, but he's new here. It's the same guy, just different. It's, it's all the same issues. And what happens is, as the church bring them in and it becomes this addict church, it usually starts with the mindset of the minister or the pastor, you know, and you have this addict church. And it creates the same mindset where there becomes a dependency from them in need. But do you know what it does? It turns away them less messed up. Because them less messed up don't feel as if they could come to that church. You just go, oh, I can't really go here. And it's not because you're measuring or you've got a bad spirit towards it. You're just going, I'm totally overlooked here. I'm totally overlooked here and actually equipping me with meat because we're constantly breastfeeding these babies in Christ <laughs> who are ready to go off the rails at any given point. And it's the same spirit. You have to tiptoe around about that stuff. No, because it becomes a handout intensive care church. And it only ever stays a handout intensive care church. It never really moves on for there. Paul puts it this way when writing to the church in Galatia. This is how Paul puts it. Uh, Galatians 3, 26 and 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. There's no transgender. He's talking about equality. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's definition. And he tiptoed around about these difficult things. Oh, such wisdom. Such wisdom. He just wants to make sure that the gospel is not going to be hindered. Know we what he does today, but also what's going on in the mind and what's going on in the culture of everybody else. And we have to be very careful in, in how we continue to walk out our life that we don't become a stumbling block. Yeah. It's okay. You know, I remember early on in my journey because I came from an ex-addict. My identity was an ex-addict. That's where I felt my value. But you end up getting caught up in that small world. Well, you're not really reaching MD. The only status is therefore we have in Christ. The only value we have is in Christ because only Christ and Christ alone can set us free. He is the author and finisher of our faith. This is why, for the most part, Paul worked. He needed to provide for himself. So he was a prisoner and indebted to no one but Christ. Watch and I say this boldly. What should you take your next hand out of? What should you take your next hand out of? Because you might just become a great stumbling block to hear them hearing the gospel. So Paul worked most likely in a shop. So what would have happened is Paul would have worked in a shop. Amazing, isn't it? I, I, I don't know. I had him just because he was a tent maker, I had him as a tradesman working in some yard or something. He, he would have worked in a shop. And, and right along the, the isthmus, which is this piece of land, they were been a, there were a street, there were loads of streets, and they were shop fronts. So what would happen is they're shop fronts. As you go to Corinth today, I don't know, I wish I had a picture of no got one. I'll, I'll bring it, I'll bring it. Yeah, I'll, put, I'll be on the screen next week. So they'd be a shop front. Still there the day. And on the shop front would be where they would trade. So he would sit there, he'd be making these tents and doing his leather work. And then what would happen is, is 
that is passing people pass by. So the traders who were, as we spoke about this morning, you know, the, 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 many people would live around about the sea and bringing stuff in. Well, they would need a place to stay for a couple of days. So they would buy a tent or it would usually only be, it would really be a canopy. It wouldn't be a full tent. When you have sides of it, like, just like a canopy. They'd go like a roof. And then that would go over and they would keep it. And then see during the Isthmus Games, this was booming boom time. Because they would all come in. They'd all come in for a week or two weeks to the games. They would need somewhere to stay. So this was, this is a good time to make a few bob. This would be a time to make money. And Paul would be in the shop. They would, they'd be in the shop front doing their work. That would be their advertising. Uh, they weren't making online or anything. They would be on a shop advertising. And then at the back of the shop is where they would live. That's how they would, that's how they would operate and sell to pass and trade. Uh, the street I mentioned this morning is, um, I, again, I'm, I might pronounce it wrong. I've tried to get the translate, but anyway, it's called Le uh, Lechion Street. I know that's not right. It's just close enough. It's close enough to the Roman name. The Greek name's different, but you can't, I, I, I don't know what it is. But anyway, that's, how, that's the name of it. It still exists to this day. You can walk right along it. You see the shop front. To this day. So if you ever go to Corinth, You'll be able to walk along the street. It's only one street now. No, it's, it's a small place now, Corinth. It's not the size it was then. And, uh, and you can walk along the street and see a shop front. I don't know whose shop it is. Oh, I'd love to see it's Paul's. That's Paul's shop there. I'm sure it's no. The folk, the wee traders probably selling stuff saying that was Paul's tent or something. I know, ripping folk off still. Uh, it's the main street, but it's where thousands of people passed and they would just get trade there. Uh, and I says during this Miss Games, and one of the things I've never mentioned this morning about this Miss Games, it wasn't just flinging the javelin and the hammer, gladiator, oh, b b blood sport, killing folk, <laughs> serious stuff. So gladiators was, you know, if you've seen the film Gladiators, and you know, think of that, that's what it was like, okay? That's a bit more dramatised, but that's exactly what it was like. And what would happen is the rich people would then buy a gladiator, usually somebody who was good. Oh, so Usek rather than Joshua, sort of thing, right? So you would you would buy a you'd buy a you would buy a gladiator, usually a big guy, and the gladiator would then you would get status for that. You'd be quoted because you've got a good fighter in your team. So everyone's status, status, status. And most of the men, they say most, I don't know how many, but most of them who competed in the Isthmus Games died. And they never seen that. That was a that was a last. That was the last array. They get killed. And that was the entertainment. Uh, get a wee packet of popcorn and get and watch it. In the theatre. That's what they would do. Anyway. Many visiting tourists would come and stay. And Paul and Priscilla would make their tents. and That's how they would make their living. Anyway, I'll better move on here. Anyway, you can get a picture anyway. We read in Acts that Galileo was the proconsul. This is uh, as we bring this in. Galileo was the proconsul, so he was the governor, as you like, in Corinth or Achaia. He's the governor of that area. The same equivalent as Pontius Pilate was in Jerusalem. Okay, that's that's the best way to look at it. So he's the governor of Corinth or that whole area. So he's the Roman leader who's the voice for Caesar. And his place would be there. He'd be the head of the whole council. And uh, everything went through him. He's the, he's the head honcho. He is the head of the law in Corinth. 
In fact, the whole Roman colony, Philippi being another one. Unlike Pilate, though, Galileo was no as needy. <laughs> Galileo was no near as needy towards people. Yes, the Romans hated the Jews, and that includes Galileo. But he wasn't threatened by the Jews. So when Paul was arrested, so Paul's there, he's making tents, he's preaching the gospel, he's in the synagogue. Usual, the Jews are up in arms. They're preaching a false god, and this messiah, oh, they, they hate that stuff. So they decided, we're going to go to Galileo, and we're going to say, we want you to try this guy for crimes. He's breaking the law. Paul goes up to the court, neither have been preparing for this, Paul goes up to court, he's brung into Galileo in a courtroom, and Paul stands up. Paul stands up to, I remember we were going through stuff in church and we were saying, we're hoping the judge is Galileo. Never, wasn't he? But anyway, we were hoping. Anyway, but we were, so Paul would go up and he would start getting tried. And as soon as he starts to get tried in the Jews, we start to try him for these crimes. Paul goes to speak and Galileo goes like, don't bother. He's like, you don't even need to speak. Totally irrelevant to me. I couldn't care less what you Jews got up to. You can all follow it if you want. Is really what he's saying. He's going to fall out and argue where he wants. No, my problem. He was secure enough to no care. He wasn't worried, oh, the Jews will revolt like Pilate was. No, that was God's sovereignty. And this is God's sovereignty as well. Galileo simply flung it out. And of course, God had many people. It says, didn't it? He had many people who had called to salvation. But it's also for sure that it was God's sovereignty that Galileo was in place at that time. So that the gospel could keep on going and put him there. Paul at times was discouraged as I says. He was facing battle after battle. Yet God tells him to keep being bold. Keep being bold. There's many people who are not yet saved. Brothers and sisters, keep being bold. There's many people who are not yet saved. Uh, my brother Billy texted me the other day and was just telling us some things that's just been going on in the background. It was so encouraging. And we continue to pray for that in our prayer meeting. We continue to pray for that. There's many people not saved. That, but that's why we have to hold fast to the faith. That's why we have to resolve, as Paul says, to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. And what happened is, is that as he got flung out of court, <laughs> all the Jews started fighting. They all started in the court. In fact, they'd done more than fight. The, the Sosans, the the, 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 the synagogue leader, the synagogue leader who was there, maybe he was already in Paul's side, but probably no. He's there as the voice for the Jews against Paul. Go and put up 1 Corinthians, just, just put up 1 Corinthians verse 1, which you hear this, you just need to see this, that's just an hour, I wasn't planning doing it, but it's just exciting, just watch this. There's many people who are going to get saved. Go and put up 1 Corinthians 1 if you don't mind, Joanne, when you get a chance. So Paul, look at what it says here. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And so sends our brother to get saved. See the guy they batter, they get saved. Now I don't know whether they get saved before then or they get saved after it, but he gets saved. And he actually says he's, 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 he's co-wrote this with me. This is what it's saying here. We'll get into that next week when we start getting into it. So the very guy that the, the Jews battered and leathered, oh, North Lanarkshire, gave a right good kick in, in the, in, the, in, the, in the court, 
Do you know what Galea did? Just in case you were thinking Galea's a good guy, Galea's like, oh, whatever, batter him if you want. I couldn't care less. I hate Jews anyway. And what happened is, see when, see when they all turned on each other, see when they all turned on each other, all the Jews turned on each other because they flung, because Paul won his case. It's not that he won his case. They couldn't care less. Come preach the gospel for Oakia. All the Jews started turning on each other, probably thinking that Saw San's never done a good enough job. Oh, he's, he was a terrible lawyer. Let's all batter the lawyer. Let's batter the synagogue leader. He's not done a good enough job. And they all started battering him. Right? Now, whether that led to his faith there or whatever led to his faith, we're not sure. But do you know what it did do? See, and that, that had a ripple effect in Corinthians. So see the pagans who were there, who were still always looking for some sort of God. They were put right off. They were right put off right off Judaism. And many of them then came to faith in Christ. You know, what's the moral in that? Or what's the, what's the metaphor of that? What's the help to that? Just let them fight. Don't get caught in fight. Just let them fight amongst themselves. They'll end up destroying themselves. Sometimes, no, you end up going in and attacking enemies or bad. You know what? They eventually just turn on themselves. And you're sometimes just better letting it go. And then just live in peace if you can. So anyway, Paul, after being removed from the synagogue, then starts a house group. This is what happens. So Paul's in the house group. Yeah. Titus, Justice is his name, Caius, sometimes I've got three names, Caius, Titus, Justice, he's just mentioned as Justice here, but he's, Caius, Titus, Justice, he's mentioned in Romans, and he starts, they start having church, house church, and people are like, what's going on there, you know, in Corinth, are all these gods, and they're going, I mean, they didn't understand it, because they would been talking about breaking bread, and the blood, and the, <laughs> the body of Christ, they're thinking cannibalism, and all sorts of stuff, going on, and they just kept on building church, and people kept on getting saved. Started to grow. Uh, anyway, I've got ahead of my notes here. As we move on, another thing that happened is the Jews turned in themselves, as I says, and the enemy turns himself. I'm still getting through my notes. Paul remained in Corinth for another 18 months. 18 months all in. Just started building church there, just started growing. Now, we already know the culture there, so that takes some doing to start building church. And then he moved after 18 months and he moved on to Ephesus. Around two years later, and this is where we'll close with, around two years later, Paul receives a letter. He's in Ephesus now. Church in Corinth still gone. He receives a letter from the household of Chloe. And we don't know if Chloe went with the letter or Runner went with the letter. The household of Chloe would have been a family who was part of the Corinthian church. This is no gossip. Okay? No, this is no gossip. Often in church, you think, I don't like to see anything that's gossip. No, if you care about the church, it's no gossip. No. And Paul knew this woman's spirit or the household spirit and he knew that she deeply cared about the church. And she writes a letter to Paul saying, look, there's trouble. The church is imploding, the world saturating, everything that I spoke about this morning. <coughs> Compromise, divisions happened. It's not that Paul was shocked, by the way. Paul is not the least bit shocked about this because he'd already wrote a letter, the first letter. It's called the Lost Epistle. 1 Corinthians 5, 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. And then he goes on and says more. So they've already received this letter, ignored it. And this is the second letter. This is actually the third letter. Uh, or the second letter. This is known, the first one is known as the first letter of the lost epistle. 
matters not because we've got a, a letter after it. Four letters in all, just land this, four letters in all. The lost letter, it's the first letter that Paul wrote. Then 1 Corinthians is the second letter he wrote. Then another letter accompanied by a short visit again. And it's known as the severe letter. <laughs> no heeding the warning. And then 2 Corinthians, four letters. Paul wrote roughly the letter two years after he left when he was in Ephesus. It's around 54, 53 AD. Remember about that time. Remember about all the times when the Gospels were wrote. Remember about saying what was first and what wasn't, they were not sure. The greatest problem that Paul first addresses there is division. Read it almost right away. 1 Corinthians 1 10 to 13. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there is no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. This is always the biggest battle in the churches. You start getting division, people are thinking differently, but not of one accord, but not of one spirit and one mind. Jesus talks about it in the Gospel of John that we heard, be you be the same as me and the Father are one, that stuff. And then it goes on and says, perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren. This is what he's received from Chloe. By those of Chloe's household that there is contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you say I am Paul or I am Apollos or I am Cephas. That's Peter. Or I am Christ and Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptised in the name of Paul? I wrote in a previous note, we're talking about this message entitled How to Reach the World Without the World Reaching Us uh, a while back. Anything you find, anything you find so-called believers building values and principles and whom they like and don't like to listen to within the church, you can be certain they are far too embracing of the world. Start picking and choosing who you like. All their preferences is no based on the gospel, but it's based on flesh. Hans Godzleman, uh, a German theologian, says this, many of their faults can be found in their uncritical acceptance of attitudes, values and behaviours of the society in which they lived. They had no criticism towards the world whatsoever. In the church like the day, we're not here to criticise the world, we're here to love the world. We're here to embrace the world. That's, 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 that's what you hear today. And then what happens is we embrace the world, that's what was happening. An over-accepting of sin, Spoke about it, a huge emphasis in status. And they were returning to their old ways, but no leaving the church. There's a problem. You know, here's the problem. They return to your own ways and they don't leave the church. You know, the best thing that people can do when they turn to their old ways is leave. The best thing they can do is turn back to the right way, we know that. But you know what happens in the churches? What's happened in the church and in the modern church and what was happening here? They were returning to their old ways, but they were staying in church and creating a new gospel. See, the, the problem is, is backsliders tend not to leave. <laughs> no, the problem is, is unsafe people just keep staying and then they keep on just changing the gospel to suit their means. So they were returning to their old ways but no leaving the church. Just started to change the gospel to suit their beliefs and values and what they believed. There lies the problem. No, you see me start saying, you know what, I really don't like that, I prefer this, that's the problem. That's what they were doing with Paul. We don't really like Paul's message anymore. Paul's message was, wasn't he really pleasing to the ear? Certainly wasn't he pleasing to the flesh. 
So they needed status. Their pride wouldn't allow them to face their sin. So they started to shape the gospel from the flesh. And no Paul's teaching. That's the problem. So Paul's teaching is getting diminished. Just all they know nothing but Christ and him crucified. We'll, we'll, we'll get into this through the way. All Paul's teaching is now getting diminished. We're not really into Paul now. We like Apollos. Apollos was completely different for Paul. We're not talking about the God Apollo. We're talking about Apollos. Apollos was different. Apollos was a very intellectual guy. That appealed to the people. It's not that he was preaching a different message. He just brought it a different way. Paul was much more simple because he was resolving to know nothing. He says, I don't come with eloquence of speech. You know, Paul says that. He's just making sure that the reason he's doing that is he even says in this, right at the beginning of his letter, I've been called to be an apostle. I never chose it myself. So they start changing the gospel to shoot the flesh and no Paul's teaching. Paul's, te Paul's teaching becomes a stumbling block to them. They start to choke. They've started to choke his teaching because the flesh is now no liking what he's saying. They don't, I, I didn't like that. I don't like that. That's who they say, who's he to say that? And because they're so saturated in the world. So they just didn't like Paul. I heard, I heard a man called, oh, I'll go back to his name, Ted Donnelly. Ted Donnelly is an Irish preacher. He's kind of semi-retired now, but he's, he's a banner guy. He's a banner man. He's a good man. I heard him, I heard him doing a teaching on it, and he was presenting Corinthians at the start, and he's saying that, no, they really didn't like Paul, and he says, I hope I'm not that place where he's at the moment. You know, he says, but I'm sure I'm are with some. So they didn't like it. The meat of the word was killing them. So rather than look at their own lack, and this is what happens, I will close now, and rather than look at their own lack, they started to look at what they didn't like about Paul. Oh, is that no common? See that, Mark? Listen, please don't acquit. I'm not even trying to label myself in here. It's the same, it's the same stuff. See that, Mark? Oh. And what they did is they started praising other people who were less qualified than Paul. We like him. We like, all right, all right. You're not liking him because you like him better. You, you're, you're liking him better because it diminishes who he is. And therefore, you don't need to listen to him. Nothing new under the sun here. Listen, we've not even opened a letter yet here. It's killing us. Where do you start getting into the nitty gritty here? So rather than look at their own lack of faith, they start to shoot the messenger and pick so that they can keep on embracing the world and what it's doing. And then in turn it starts the ball rolling and division. Division starts. That's how the ball starts rolling, with division. The culture and the values of Corinth is now in the church. And the church, the church is now Corinthianized. They're no saturating, saturating the world in Corinth with the gospel. The church has been Corinthianized. Rachel was in with the kids today and she sent me a message, a text message. And she says, uh, just thanks for the message. She says, oh my goodness, every bit of social Christian that's in me is getting killed already. I, I did say it'll take a while. No, I didn't. I just sent back and says, you've been un-Corinthianized. That's what you've been. You've been un-Corinthianized. I don't know about you, but I need more uncorinthianized. And what was happening is the church was being Corinthianized. It's becoming worldly. 
the same social and economic values that was so prevalent in Corinth is now filtering into the church. And now they've created the gospel that suits that. The word has been lost. That's what they're deliberately doing. They're losing the word. And now the social ladder, my goodness, I will close. I know, I free usually. Right, but this is what started happening. Some of have been running about this stuff. It's heartbreaking. Truly. The church started of a social ladder. Not heartbreaking. The church started to have the snobbery. The church started to have status. Does that know what you see today? Billy Big Shot Pastor? No, he's big. Instagram account. His wife cutting about with a Louis Vuitton bag. First class ticket. I seen a, pre a woman, I'm not going to say preacher, a woman who shouldn't be a preacher, saying she's a preacher, taking a photo of her walk-on hand luggage. I know. Call me sinister. I zoomed in. I zoomed in in the bag. And it says, Delta Diamond. So I googled Delta Diamond. And to fly with Delta Diamond, you have to spend, you ready for it? Quarter of a million pound a year on flights to get Delta Diamond. That's what was on the bag. Know what they say is, paraphrase what they said. It's worth the sacrifice for the Lord. I'm like, well that's some sacrifice in it, lying back in a lounge. Do you know what that does? Do you know what that does? It's patronage. It's patronizing, that's what it is. Right? Patronage. So you get that, you need to then there, and then they're really blessed, and you're not blessed. And the social ladder then gets into the church. So it's nearly killed the Church of Scotland, by the way. You've got people who know nothing about the gospel, who go to the Church of Scotland Sunday and put their wee money in their wee envelope, and they think they're a Christian. You see it in the chapel and all sorts of places. In the modern church, you see it, don't you? You've got the front row brigade. Okay? And I, you, you, can you remember being in church and you're wondering when I'm not in the front row? I'm not qualified for the front row? That, that stuff? Oh, no, you just sit in a comfy seat and it's wherever you want. I couldn't care less. Oh, really? We couldn't care less? It's not, not just, as if Jesus was like, I need the front row. But you've got that status in church. And what's happened is the social ladders in church, spiritual snobbery, which is absolutely gospel robbery, is in the church. There was zero discipleship. There was zero discipline, no discipline in the church. Nobody was challenged for no living right. Somebody said to me quite recently, oh, I didn't feel right, right to take communion. I'm saying, I'm glad you never went. I says, I would have been more embarrassed than stopping you. We'll get into communion once we get to it, way in chapter 11. But just on that, communion is no some that box ticks you, that lets you pass the test that's let you in. I'm going to take communion because then I'm in. And if I don't take it, I'm no in. That's not how it is, but that's what was happening here. In fact, you go back, to, you go up to chapter 11, we start getting into that, and it becomes major about who they let take communion, who. 
They let people take communion who were mere socially qualified, nothing to do with their faith. So how sick it go. Paul then writes, with the help of the Holy Spirit, guided by the Spirit, God breathed, it's all God breathed, the off, the on, and And he says, I come no with wisdom, amen, or speak with eloquent words, because I've resolved to know nothing amongst you except Christ and Christ crucified. Up and I implode, I, I, I plead with you, return back to the gospel. Return back to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this is the only thing that's going to stop the world saturating you. And it's the only thing that's going to be able to crucify sin. And he reminds them who they, who's truly the head of the church. You say, you, say, you say you don't like me? It's totally irrelevant. I'm not in charge of the church. Jesus is. But they've put status back in. And him only being a servant is what he pleads. At no point does Paul ever try to use, and we'll see this, he never uses human wisdom. Now I will close with this. Never try to reason with man when they're compromising the gospel by your eloquence. Use the gospel. I sent a post last week, and I says, we need to stop sharing wee church stories with people as if we think it's evangelism telling people what your church is like. People don't need to hear what your church is like. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's almost a substitute. He never appealed to man's flesh. The solution is the same message he preached. The solution is the gospel in Christ crucified. And it's only that that he stands on. It's only that that crucifies the flesh. And it's only that that stops the church free on the brink of disaster. Next week we open up Paul's letter and we'll start hearing what he says to the church in Corinth. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.